This is Acts 22. And here's Paul. Last week it was a cliffhanger, right? It ended with a colon, and it's like, okay, stay tuned. Here he is on the steps in the, in the, in the courtyard there um, at the Temple Mount, and we have the Roman fort up there, their little uh, overlook where they have about f- 500 Roman soldiers that kind of guard and make sure everything's peaceable around there, around the, um, the temple. Um, and so they're watching. And Paul is on the stairs, it, chained and bound. He has some chains on, and he's gotten the attention of the guard. It was just crazy. They were listening to him whatever, they're bringing him up, and he's standing there now, and he gets the attention of the guard, and he asks him, can I speak to the people? And we know who's in charge of everything. God's in charge of everything. If Paul wasn't supposed to be heard, the crowd would have continued to go on in a chaotic thing. Satan would have kept stirring up the crowd and the anger and the fury. But God wanted the people to hear what Paul had to say. So God, not Paul, not anybody else, brought the crowd to a hush. And so this chapter 20 now is one of the sermons included in Acts of Paul that talks about his testimony, his defense. It's his witness. And remember, we are to be witnesses to Christ wherever we go. Wherever we are, we're a witness to Christ. So this chapter is his defense, um, a formal account of his past life and actions, okay? By this time, he's been a Christian for probably 20 years. Um, So it's been gone through a lot of stuff, and he's going to recount his life from pretty much the beginning, I know your commentator, Terry, when it gets into there, starts talking about being on common ground. And I always read that, and I think, okay, well, that's, that's one theme, but that's just one point. There's so much more to it than that, but we'll, we'll throw that in anyways. He gets them, he meets the people where they're at. That's what we need to do. If we want someone to listen to us, we, we meet them where they're at, okay? We're not going to talk to a child the way we would talk to an adult. We're going to use language to kind of connect with them. We're going to gain an understanding. We're going to gain a connection there when we're communicating with people. So Paul is doing that, and he's going to start his defense by telling them that he can relate to them in many ways. But stepping back beyond all that, We are on common ground with every single person in this world because we all come into the world as an enemy of God. We all come in um, in a sinful, fallen state. Romans 3.23 tells us what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus says in Mark 10.18, no one is good except God. So we all come in pretty lousy people Broken fellowship with God. That's a common ground. No one, there's no exception to that rule. And Ecclesiastes even says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So that's the state that we're all in. And Paul also was in this state. We are also all witnesses to the glory of God. We are all witness 
and reflect and, and tell the story and, and point back to the greatness of God. Whether we know it and acknowledge it or not, we can't sneak around the world pretending like God doesn't care about us or he's not paying any attention to us or we don't matter. That's not true. We either reflect his grace and mercy or his righteousness and judgment. The heavens declare the glories of God. All creation, pretty much, he created it. Colossians 1.17 says about Christ, he is before all things and in him all, earth, in him all things hold together. So God is actively involved in everything, and we're included in that. Get a handle on this, okay, how important we are in the relationship that we have with him. He is involved in our lives, holding me here with gravity, giving me the breath to breathe, knowing what's going on. And we all reflect back the glory of God in either his grace and mercy, because we become believers in Jesus Christ and we're in the kingdom of God, received a new heart, or rejected him and are still left in our fallen state, and then we'll, have, we'll be a, a recipient of the righteousness in his judgment. Okay? But we all reflect back his glory in some way. So we're all witnesses. Our lives all tell a story, all reflect back to him. And not only that, we're witnesses to him. Others are watching us. You think, oh, no one's paying any attention. I'm doing, you know, whatever. First Peter 1, 10 to 12 tells us, you can look that one up. The angels long to look into the salvation of God. The angels aren't saved. They're, you know, fallen. They don't get redeemed or anything like that. They either, you know, fell, a third of them fell with Satan, and they're destined to that. Or the two-thirds are going to be in glory, messengers of God they are, but they don't have souls and they're not redeemable. So they're very curious about what God does. They bend down and they watch, what is going on down here? What's God doing with that? What's happening with that? And also in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, let us all lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are being watched, and our lives matter. Okay, so with this kind of laid as a background here, and Paul is being our role model here in how to be a, a, a witness to, the, to Almighty God, to the, to the gospel of Christ. He's standing before these people, and he starts to bring his defense. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense, the account of my life that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So they, he started to really perk their attention because he's speaking in a language that is their language, the Jewish language. One of the um, uh, 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 charges that he had up against Paul was the fact that he was against the Jewish people. He was telling everyone, he was telling the Jews who were becoming believers that you have to get away with all your Jewishness. It doesn't, he's anti-Jewish and he's telling them they don't have to observe any of that stuff and all that stuff is bad. So when he starts speaking to them in the, their Jewish language, how can he be anti-Jewish? So it's like, what's going on here with this, with Paul? 
speaking to them, at, speaking to the Jews as a Jew. And he tells him that he is a Jew. And he was born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, and brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. He's refuting this charge that they have that he is anti-Jewish by saying, I was born a Jew. I wasn't born, you know, I was born outside the promised land, but I was raised in Jerusalem. So where his birthplace was, very Jewish, who he is, Jewish roots. He's talking about his education by one of the most revered rabbi of the time. And he was even once a Pharisee who was blameless under the law because he believed in the Jewish rites. In Romans 7, he says, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteousness and good. And when he was writing his letters to the church in Galatia, Galatia, he says this, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was on fire for the Jewish culture and, and who they were and the beliefs and the heritage that they had. But you know who orchestrated all that? God did. God allowed all this to happen. God allowed him to be born in this place. God allowed him to have education by this um, rabbi. God allowed all of these things to happen. God, God allowed Paul's heart and, and passions to be motivated and driven by the culture, giving him a love and understanding of, of the Jewish tradition. That's all God molding Paul for what's going on. So when we look out there and we say, where am I going to go to school or what am I going to do or how am I going to homeschool or go to school, whatever, you know, all those things are in God's hands. He cares about every single one of those details. Sometimes I think I should have been born at a different time, but you know what? Then I say, no, God put me here for now. This is cool. Besides, every time has their problems, right? He's in charge. He is in our lives Paul tells them that he was zealous for the Jewish culture and God's laws and God's commandment, just like you are this day. Zealous for God. So he was identifying with them. I get it where you guys are. I was once there. I get it. Wanted to kill all these stupid Christians that were just messing up stuff. So he goes on in verse four and five, to talk about him as an older Christian, I mean, as an older man, an older Jew. He says, I persecuted the way, the Christians, to death. And right there, he admits it. He killed them, or he had them killed, binding and delivering them to prison. Um, He even received letters from authorities to give him permission and come, you know, give him support. Go and do this. Yes, we support all this stuff. Um, He was a very energetic persecutor, even to the point of death. He would bind them and bring them to prison. He didn't even spare just men. It It was both men and women he would do this to. So he's telling them all of this stuff, how how he just did these evil things to the to the church and he says i understand i understand where you guys are coming from he's trying to persuade them or argue the point that their charge against him 
toward any enmity for the Jewish people is unfounded. Okay? And God has orchestrated all this for such a time as this in history, for him to be the man, his witness before these people, and to have this story to tell. So whether we know it or not, we are witnesses for Christ in every aspect of our lives because he is involved in every aspect of our lives. That's an overwhelming, I mean, even when I'm standing there staring at all the zillion types of cereals and deciding which one to pick and I'm overwhelmed, yeah, God is there. (laughs) He is there. Involved. So we are his witnesses all 24-7. Okay. So Paul goes on. He picks this up in verse 6 now, and he starts to talk about his conversion. In the book of Acts, this account of his conversion is recorded three different times. That tells us it's a very significant thing that happened to Paul. And it was pretty kind of out there in the fringe of stuff. He goes on to tell them of how he met Jesus. And in verse 6, listen to the words, as I was on my way, he thought he was on his way. He's in charge. He's going his way. Is my way. My way. And drew near to Damascus about noon... Now, noon is one of the brightest times of the day, right? The sun's very high in the sky. A great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. That's a pretty bright light. Pretty bright light. It's brighter than the sun at high noon. And it's all around him, which tells us he didn't have a shadow, right? That's a pretty cool thought. There was no shadow there for him. Not even under his feet, maybe. I don't know. And he fell to the ground. He just, he just, God stopped him in his tracks. Okay, you can go in your way. You think you're going your way, Paul. You're really not. I'm orchestrating all this. But you just kind of go your way, going into Damascus, going to, you know, round up all these Christians and stuff and pull them into town and or do whatever you're going to do with them and snuff them out and just snuff this whole Christianity thing out because it's just so anti-Jewish. That's what you're doing. That was Paul's way, and God just, in his tracks, really got his attention, didn't he? I took a, anti-hist- a, a dry-your-throat-up kind of thing. <laughs> I shouldn't have, you know, kind of dries your way up. Okay, so he gets his attention, so much so that he falls on the ground. The light, who's the light? I am the light of the world, isn't it? Jesus, Jesus Christ, blinded Paul, fell to the ground. It probably destroyed his eyes a little bit, I would think. I mean, that would, do, that would truly do some physical damage to his, his eye. And then he has this conversation with Jesus. He hears Jesus say, or the voice say, he hears the voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, when we have that double name in there in Scripture, it's in several different places in Scripture. 
in the Hebrew language, it's an expression of intimacy. It's a connection. It's a loving thing. You know, um, Martha, Martha. You know, my Lord, my Lord on the cross, right? Um, Abraham, Abraham. So it's Saul, Saul. And with that expression from the Jewish, from the Hebrew language, that deep intimacy, that's the thing that really shocked Paul and made him fall down. Because he was just on a rampage, filled with hate, going to do this. And what does he hear? This deep intimacy thing that of, of I know you. It reminded me of, if you've ever been someplace and you have your name on your shirt or you left your work name tag on and some stranger says to you, hey, Molly, I'm like, and you, it's like, do I know you, kind of? So this is Paul to the hundredth time on this one. Because Christ is saying to you, I know you. I know you. I know you really, really well. Boom. At that moment, not just shock, but horrified. Because at that moment, I think that's when Paul realized that he had been terribly wrong. He knows he has really, really messed up here because he's been going after Messiah, the one whom he had despised and rejected as a charlatan, as a blasphemer, and as a false Messiah, was in fact the Lord of glory. Now these people, these Jewish people out here in the crowd, are listening to Paul's story, and they're right with him. You know, it's just like a a clinging on every single word of it. There was probably people in that audience there, that raging mob, not an audience, the audiences are pretty nice, this mob that also was struck by the news of that. You know, wow, you mean Jesus really is? And maybe they were kind of open to the possibility that Jesus is the Messiah. Wow. What a great testimony there that is, okay? So, game changer. And so Paul asks him, who are you, Lord? Just who exactly are you? And then he tells him, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Boom. Well, that sealed it right there. What he, his worst nightmare had come true. Now, verse 9 is inserted in there. And it's inserted in there about the people who were with him that didn't, they, they sensed the light and they heard the voice, but they didn't understand the message that, that the Lord was set, talking to was directly for Paul. So no one else had to understand it. But he inserts it in here. So if anybody in that mob wants to go and check his story... They can. Who was traveling with Paul? Did that actually happen? And there's probably even rumblings around. Wow, we are bringing Paul into here, you know, and this would happen. We brought him in and, you know, gee, this light happened and we heard this, all this, somebody talking. We didn't understand. So there was probably already some rumblings of rumors out there that this has happened. So they can verify the story that it wasn't Paul hallucinating that it actually happened. But we pick it up again 
in verse 10, and Paul's perfect response now at that this point, once he realizes who he is encountering, it just puts him in the right frame of mind perspective. He's identified himself now as the servant of the living, of the living Lord. And he says to him, you know, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord tells him to rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. So that was a huge um, change for Paul to have all of this happen, to go. Now, we know where he's going. Um, He hasn't told the crowd yet where he's going, um, but they're listening intensely Okay, he's listening on the edge of every word that he's saying. He's got their attention, and he's talking to them. The guard's still standing here, and they're watching. He, the guard may not understand what is being said there, but he's, he picks up the vibrations in the crowd. Everyone's really calm and paying attention to this guy. What's happening here, okay? So verse 11, Paul couldn't see. His eyes were messed up. He gets led into Damascus by the hand. Now, Paul's way to go to Damascus was going to round these guys up and everything. But the real way, what Jesus had in mind to get into Damascus was being humbly led by the hand because he couldn't see where he was going. That's very humiliating. Very humiliating, wouldn't that be? He didn't mind it, though, because he was going to do the directions that God had told him to do. Go there, and then he'd find out what was going on. So he meets this guy, Ananias, and he talks about Ananias here, and he gives him some credibility in who Ananias is in verse 12. A devout man according to the law. Ah, you Jewish people out there. Ananias was devout according to the law, according to the Jewish law. He was well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. So he's setting up Ananias as a credible person there. And Ananias comes to him and he calls him Brother Saul, a partner, a familiar name, Brother Saul, he says to me. Again, letting them know that Paul is okay with the Jewish beliefs, okay? Tells him to receive his sight. Um, and then he goes on to say, um, he receives his sight instantly that very hour, um, and he could see Ananias. We know that this is a timeline for, for Paul with his conversion and getting his eyesight back and everything. And then he went away for a while, probably to Arabia for three years, Galatians 1. You can look at that, what he was doing for three years. And then he comes back and he returns to um, Jerusalem. After he talks to Ananias, he gets his eyesight back. Um, He's told that a righteous one has appointed you to hear, um, to be a voice for me, to be a witness for me. He goes and gets baptized, and that brings us down to verse 17. So we've got a timeline there, time span. He's back in Jerusalem now. He's returned, and he's praying in the temple. If he was so anti-Jewish, he wouldn't be praying in the temple. He's doing this stuff because he's talking to the Jewish audience about this, okay? Remember when he was in Corinth, that horribly pagan, satanic, evil 
place. And what did they do? They had uh, God worked it so it would be magical kind of things like touch Paul's thing. And it was, they got healed because that's what that culture believed in. They believed in the witchy craft stuff and everything. And that's how Satan worked. So to get these people's attention, he used that kind of stuff to let the people know, hey, I'm Jehovah. God, and I'm more powerful on this, but I got your attention now, so he's doing that, okay? In the same thing here, Paul is talking to this Jewish mob, so he's bringing out these points about, you know, I was praying in the temple, and this is what I was doing to let them know, hey, this guy's pretty cool, you know, he doesn't hate Jews or anything, so he's in the temple, and he's praying, and he's telling them this story, and he gets into a trance, and he has this very impressive vision of Jesus there. And he says to him, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Well, this kind of of upsets Paul a little bit here because he starts to kind of question God. Strong language, almost like get out of Dodge now. It's not good for you here. I mean, that's pretty clear. Make haste and get out. And he's like, well, wait a minute, God, just, just, just a minute. I, I might be the perfect witness. I'm your man here to be able to relate to these Jews. I, I'm it because I, I, I used to do all the things. I mean, they know that I persecuted. I was there when Stephen was stoned and, and they know I was there so they can understand I'm credible to these people. And God's saying, no, no. You need to get out now because, he says in verse 21, go, I am sending you far away to the Gentiles. Now, God had already told Saul, Paul, that he was going to do this. But but Paul was just so, we know his love for the Jewish people. We, We got that verse last week that talked about he would be accursed if his brothers could be saved. Remember? Sometimes it seems like God's plans just aren't the best plans. Doesn't that seem to us? And we have these conversations with God like, wait a minute, God. Are you sure about this? I have a little bit more wisdom on this and understanding about this. (laughs) I see all your laughs out there. You can so relate to this. Well, quit doing it because look what happens. (laughs) Okay. When those times happen, we really have to realize as we're going out stepping on faith. Um, God had uh, molded and shaped Paul to be his man to go to the Gentiles. This is his commission. God was giving him the power, granting him the authority to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He's a sovereign God, all-powerful, and he intervened in Paul's life, flipped him totally around probably did a couple somersaults in the way as he turned them around, from being Christianity's most violent persecutor to its greatest missionary. Paul is laying it out for his Jewish mob that he acted in submission to God. He didn't even want to go to the Gentiles. God made him go to the Gentiles. I was only acting in submission. Okay? So we're witnesses for Christ because he's transforming us into his likeness through faith. And when he tries to move us someplace or tell us to go someplace and it doesn't make sense to us, we have to step back and say, okay, 
Not my will, but your will be done. Now, what happens? This crowd is triggered big time. I love that new word, triggered. They were triggered. What triggered these guys? Okay? Verse 22, up to this, the word they, up to this word, this word, they listened to him. What's the word? Up to this word. What did he say? What came out of his mouth? Yes, Gentiles. They were buying into it. They were buying into the fact that, yeah, maybe this Jesus is the Messiah. Boy, it makes sense what he's saying. I, I can understand. Yeah, that's so credible. All the things he's saying, you know, whatever. It's a bizarre story, but I think I get it. I'm following along, and then boom. They could not, they refused to listen. They would not listen to anything reaching out to the Gentiles, okay? They became a raging mob at this point. What do they start doing? Um, they, they shut him down by talking over him. They throw off their cloaks and they start flinging dust in the air. Can you, we're having a little tantrum here. I know. Are we four? You know? It's like, just shut them up. Shut them up. They're just... Yeah, and remember, Satan's behind all this because Satan is the one who wants the gospel to nip it in the bud. So... They couldn't handle this. Why couldn't they handle the fact that Paul was going to go talk to the Gentiles about salvation? Because this implied equality with the Gentiles. This is saying that the Gentiles, the deplorable, filthy Gentiles, can come to God on the same terms. This was heresy for them to make Gentiles spiritually equal to the Jewish people. If the Jewish people were even around a Gentile, they would have to go and purify themselves. And this was the culture at the time. So we can't really get too upset with these people because they they were told something completely different. That's why Jesus turned the world upside down. This is all new. Behold, I make all things new. This This is the gospel for everybody. And they were just had a mental block on that. So the dirt's flying and the name calling's flying, the anger's flying and they shut them down and everything. And we, they become unhinged. They really become unhinged, right? And who do we have standing by watching this? Who doesn't understand the words out there is the Roman guard. Oh, what did this guy just do? He just, he said something very unpopular here. So, very puzzled at the crowd. So he brings him into the barracks in an attempt to maybe save his life or to at least calm the crowd down. And in verse 24, um, they order him back to the barracks to be flogged. Yeah, that's, I guess, a good way to deal with it. They needed, to get, they needed some answers here. What is going on? Who is this guy? What is going on here? Because their whole job, the Roman soldier's whole job, was to keep peace. No one gets upset here. We just watch you like a hawk and don't get out of place. And the Jews could kind of do their own Jewish thing underneath the, you know, the radar of some of that stuff, but they could not disturb the peace. So they needed to get some answers out. So they're going to flog him. Now the flogging is something that Paul has not experienced yet. This is probably the worst thing that could have happened to Paul, but it was what they would do Um, to get someone to talk, pretty much. Um, 
And it was brutal, a brutal bit. Many times the person couldn't talk. If they didn't talk and they kept flogging them and flogging them, they would die from loss of blood. Um, And Jesus was flogged before he was crucified. And then he was made to haul that cross up that hill. So it's a very uh, cruel and damaging thing. But look what's going on with Paul. Is he upset? Is he yelling? Is he saying, don't, no, don't do, you know, wait, wait, hear me, you know, is he in a panic? No, he's not. They stretch him out, they get ready to go, and calmly, Paul just says to them that he's a Roman citizen. Who's in control here? God. Because Paul knows that if God wants me to continue my witness, he's going to take care of me. And if God wants this to be the last day that I live, that's going to happen. There's nothing on earth that I can do to fight against it. You know, our days are numbered pretty much, right? Because he is sovereign. He's in control of every aspect of our life, where we're born, where we go to school, where we travel, where we hang out, interactions we do, when we die, when we get sick. God's in charge of all of those things. So Paul calmly just happens to mention that he's a Roman citizen. He could have told him that at any other time, couldn't he? He really could have. Oh, I like this. This makes for a better storyline, doesn't it? He could have told him, you know, way earlier on, whatever, but they got him stretched out. It was probably a very good time to tell him before he actually got flogged, okay? It was against the law to, to uh, even put a Roman citizen in chains. So this guard already knew that he was in trouble. What? I, I, he's like, oh my gosh, he calls somebody, you know, what's going on here? They immediately halt what's going to happen to him. And it's interesting that the guard says this to him. Paul was born a Roman citizen. He was legitimately a Roman citizen. The guard's telling him that, that he, he bought his citizenship for a large sum of money. You could get your Roman citizenship one or two ways. You could be born a Roman, okay, your birth, or you could bribe a corrupt official just to have that. You could buy it. The guard is pretty much admitting that he, he got his the corrupt way. But it was the thing that saved Paul's life. Where's our citizenship? In heaven. Is that a saving? That's a good saving thing, isn't it? Our citizenship in heaven, when we become born again in the family of God and become a child of the king and we're in him for eternity on, nothing, nothing, nothing's going to pull us out of there. Nothing's going to separate us from that. That is a superior the ultimate citizenship to have. And nothing's going to happen to us. We are eternally saved. So whether we know it or not, um, God's in charge of all things. We have to be aware of that. The next day, they send him on his way, unbound, and he goes on to the next group of people. He's going to be before several groups of people, and we're going to see them increase in authority, as we go up into each group in, in the Roman um, 
world, for lack of a better word to come up with, that God is using this man to be able to witness to all these groups of people. Was it chance? No. Was it by design? Perfect divine design. And that's how our lives are. Before we were born, he knew us. Before we were born, he knew our days were numbered. Before he was born, we, he had laid out for us certain tasks that we are to do in life. Now, we have free will, okay? And we will do these tasks. Some of them, you know, we're not going to do so well. We might lose a reward or whatever. But it's a matter of how we yield and cooperate and and wholeheartedly go along with it versus as Paul would God told Paul why are you kicking at the goad right um, because we're being transformed in the image of Christ to really be the true witness of Christ so whether we know it or not we're witnesses for Christ wherever we go whatever we're doing people are watching us so the question is Will we be a positive witness or a negative witness for the cause of Christ? There's plenty of people out there that profess to be Christians, and whether they are or aren't or just immature, they do a lot of damage for the body of Christ. But for us, there's that old saying out there, and I don't know, it's kind of cliche. I almost, I didn't highlight it because I wasn't even sure I was going to say it, but I'm going to throw it out because you guys are an easy crowd. You know the thing that if you were on trial for being a Christian, is there going to be enough evidence to convict you of it? But the real point is here is that we want to be a positive witness to Christ. Standing up for Jesus.